Hello, my friends. Welcome to Pentapodics, Mr. Watson. I am most certainly your host, Christian Watson. Happy March, my friends. It is the first day of the month, March 1st. Isn't that something? March 1st. And and this month, come on, this month marks Women's History Month. Yes, we'll get into that. See, last month it was Black History Month. This month it is Women's History Month. And so... I suppose I'll just say my congratulatory um, sentiments. If you believe that we should estimate someone's value on the basis of an immutable characteristic, and you believe you have victory by positioning that immutable characteristic, the very same thing, which was allegedly a cause for their scorn in the first place, above anything else, then congratulations for Women History Month. We're actually going to explore why I don't think that Women's History Month is actually, number one, entirely about um, celebrating women themselves. It's about celebrating a certain kind of activity. And number two is necessarily unnecessary um, for understanding the role of individuals in history and whatever. I'm going to explain the entire thing to you. I'm also going to talk about Joe Biden and his, his fascination with cultural relativism. And and this is particularly in light of his comments about Hong Kong and about the Uyghurs and the CNN town hall, which was made, these comments were made less than two weeks ago. And it's personal for me because one of my friends, one of my good friends, Joshua Wong, has now been arrested by the Chinese authorities. Well, he was arrested a long time ago, but he was arrested by the Chinese authorities. And Joshua, I had him on the show. Was, is young just like me. He has ambitions and life in his eyes just like me. And I see so much of myself in Joshua. So we'll talk about that and more on today's episode of Pens of Politics and Mr. Watson. But I must say, you guys, again, happy March. You have made, we are now in the third month of the new year. And so much has, has transpired, my lord. Has <laughs> so much transpired. Virus is, is is retreating, I think. I would say so, at least. Vaccines are coming in the droves. People are going back to normal in some parts of the country. Very few states and cities, if any, are now locked down. Although Fauci continues to be a little bit blurry with his understanding of things. But regardless, good things are happening. America is, once again... The being the shining jewel of the principles it was founded upon, principles of individual rights, individualism. And so we, we should be very thankful about that. We should be very, very thankful about it. Because, well, look, a lot of people were saying, a lot of people on the internet were saying, Christian, 2021 will be simply be a repeat. The, the rudiments of 2020. And I hate it when we assign qualities, bad qualities to a year, rather than acknowledging that a year is simply a chronological marker, a chronological qualifier, which has absolutely none, you know, no bearing on the events that happen in it. But I guess 2020 will be always, will always be known as a year of terror and a year of, of pain and all the kind of things. But we shouldn't understand 2020 as a year of terror and pain. Because for many of us, 
And there may have been terror and pain occurring in the world, but for us, it was also times of tremendous growth and benefit. Uh, twenty twenty was one of the hardest years of my life, but in that in that difficulty, in that trouble, was a growth for me. In that difficulty, was me being able to find my way to a different kind of what's the word for it? A different mode of thinking, which has motivated me to be more productive, which has motivated me to chase my dreams more vigorously than before. But anyway, other than this month being the third month of the year, it is also Women's History Month. So I was reading an article on CNN, and it was essentially saying, hey, why is March Women's History Month? Let me explain. Now, when someone hears the word Women's History Month, that's probably the natural question. Why a month? It's one of the same critiques of Black History Month. Why a single month? Why not all year round? Now, I find this critique to be dreadfully mundane. It's not It's not inaccurate. It's just dreadfully mundane. <laughs> I, I think that if you're going to hit on these cultural issues with, uh, with both not only concision, but also with a lot of uh, tact and precision, you're going to have to go beyond the simple questions and actually explore the etymological roots of these phrases. Even if, those, even if those etymological roots can be found in the history of the origination of these phrases. When I hear Women's History Month, I ask myself, okay, what women? What kind of women? Who were these women? What did they believe? What were their values? What did they do in their life? How they exercised their agency and their free will to impact the world? Okay, well, well, I don't think, oh, women. I think, no, individuals. Who are these people? Who are these people? So already from the name, Women's History Month disarms you from understanding the individual natures of these women. It turns them into a faceless amorphous blob, a political constituency that can be pushed forward by certain cultural forces that have an agenda, rather than acknowledging that all women are vastly different. They are individuals, and their individuality, not their womanhood, is what makes them special. For me, my individuality, not my blackness or my manhood, is what makes me special. My uniqueness my my consciousness when i when i when i hear the phrase women's history month i am hearing what emerson said in self-reliance when he says you need to let go of dead customs that are of no usage to you i don't understand the women individually who are adulated or the events individually who are adulated within this month if I'm simply reiterating and reinventing the past understanding of this month. Do you understand what I'm saying? So wouldn't it make more sense for me to understand why women are valuable individual of a collective statement? Because this way, I'm not simply holding a standard which has not been tested and which is assumed. I'm looking at something concrete, and I'm able to define the quality that I believe that thing is.
So that's the first thing. When I before we even explore one of the reasons why this is called Women's History Month, when I hear that phrase, I am immediately disarmed of any understanding of the individualities of these people. I am disarmed. Well, Christian, society has not considered women individuals. Therefore, we need to fight on those terms. No, you don't. Well, Christian, women as a collective have been held down for a good majority. Well, well I, I, don't, I don't know how true that is. Sure, you can say there's an income gap, but we've we've explained that. It's it's illegal to pay women who do the same work less as per the Equal Pay Act, nineteen forty three, no, nineteen excuse me, nineteen sixty three. That's legal, and the gap can be as the Department of Labor said in two thousand seven. The income gap can be explained through differences in preferences of careers. Women tend to be more white collar, men tend to be more blue collar. And depending on the career in either field, blue collar can sometimes make more than white collar and vice versa. Now, you can easily say that sexism, indeed, has been a problem in American history, as it has all across the world. And I say that, what is the common root of sexism in the common root of priding an entire month based on an immutable characteristic? Both of them are giving some kind of quality to an immutable characteristic. Sexism is giving the quality of, of disdain for a certain characteristic, whereas Women's History Month is giving a quality of adulation for that characteristic. So on a philosophical level or sort of an ontological level, there is a unified root between Women's History Month and sexism, I'm not saying they're both the same thing. I'm saying they arise from the same principle that is exercised in different forms. The principle of clinging to a single idea, a single identity by which you define your interaction with a certain topic. This is before I even get into what CNN.com is saying about Women's History Month. This is just what I'm gaining, what I'm gleaning from reading the phrase Women's History Month. This was just what I'm what I'm gleaning from it. So if so so it, it doesn't it's it's does not define anything. It simply leaves me with the characteristic. And it connects to the very reason why some say we need Women's History Month by emphasizing an arbitrary characteristic. These are the two insights I have gleaned from simply looking at the phrase. Let's proceed, though, because there is something more to this, I believe. So the CNN article goes into the history of Women's History Month. Then it also says, it says, okay, it, this is when it explains why March is important for women's history. A few things. This is why it explains. The Equal Rights Amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment, for those of you who do not know, it was a attempt to pass a constitutional amendment which guarantees rights regardless of sex 
to make up for apparently the flaws of the 19th Amendment. It was pushed very heavily in the 70s. It was passed by the Senate. And essentially they're saying it is an achievement of all women to have been for the Equal Rights Amendment. First of all, how is that endemic to being a woman? See, here's the thing about these political months. These things are not endemic to one's being. These are external things, oftentimes ideologically driven things. So why in the world would you put a political thing, which obviously comes from a very particular point of ideology, into a month meant to universally adulate women? It makes no sense. But it is generally held to be one of the great accomplishments of women's history to have proposed the Equal Rights Amendment. <laughs> now, of course, what they don't tell you is that Phyllis Schlafly quite literally mobilized a great majority of conservative women to say, no, we don't want this. This is not to say that Phyllis Schlafly was correct. Personally, I think that her methods were a little bit bombastic. But Phyllis Schlafly and the women that supported Phyllis Schlafly, in my opinion, are just as valid a part of the women's history thing as the people who proposed the Equal Rights Amendment. Why not talk about them? Because they don't fit the narrative, that's why. Because they don't fit this ontological construction of of that that is birthed from a particular understanding of identity. They don't fit that. In fact, that they reject that metaphysically. They, they reject the idea that they are simply a product of their sex organs. And many will say, "Well, well, the the, uh, the left does not believe women are simply the product of their sex." Maybe they don't. But they, but they treat these things in that manner. Let me actually read you the Equal Rights Amendment. Let me read you a text from it. This is the resolution text. Resolved by the Senate and the House of Representatives of the United States of America and Congress assembled, that the following article is proposed as an amendment to the Constitution, which shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states within seven years from the date of its submission by the Congress. Section 1. Equality of rights under law shall not be denied nor abridged by the United States by any state on account of sex. Section 2. The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. And Section 3. This amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. So there's quite literally simply three parts to this entire thing. There's three parts to this entire thing. And, then, and this, section one is kind of the, the backbone of this whole effort. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. We are, this is redundant, my friends. We already have an Equal Rights Amendment. But the Equal Rights Amendment was not about women being seen equally in the eyes of the law. No, no, no. It was about being able to push a certain agenda that emerged from a certain understanding of women 
it emerged from a certain kind of feminism. It's it's very peculiar. Because if you speak about these things in the way that I'm speaking about them, you are said to be misogynistic. You are said not to like women. And I'm not, hey, I was I I was raised by strong black women. Women are some of the most inspirational individuals, inspirational human beings in my existence. I have been shaped by them. But I don't see them simply as strong black I, I, I don't see them simply as women. I see them as strong people, individuals with good character, who've been through a lot, who've been who've been racked through the watershed, as they would say, who have tried their best to make sure that I wouldn't repeat the mistakes or that I would do better than they did in life. I was raised by that kind of force. I was raised by a grandmother that always taught me to be respectful and to love each other and to be kind and to be feeling. That's what it means to understand someone as a human being and not in light of what their biology, what their physiology assigned to them at birth. But the Equal Rights Amendment does not want to talk about that, or if it does, it's a peripheral talking about that. They want to push a certain idea, a certain socially constructed idea of what a woman is supposed to be or how a woman is supposed to act and put it into law. Now, Phyllis Schlafly kind of had this same problem as well. Phyllis Schlafly believed that women were supposed to be housewives and stay at the home and support men. She believed in gender roles. Personally, I do not. Personally, I think that you should do whatever works for you and your partner. Period. You shouldn't let some some social custom dictate how you interact in your personal relationships. So I don't believe in gender roles. And, and, and people who, who were proponents of the Equal Rights Amendment also didn't believe. But this was not simply, a, this was not just about, this was about changing cultural perceptions through the Constitution. The Constitution is not meant to change cultural perceptions. See, it's, it's not really about discrimination. It's about changing cultural perceptions through the Constitution, through force, through the, through, through the pinnacle of force. This is not to say that there have not been issues in legislation about women and things. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that Women's History Month, adulating the Equal Rights Amendment as an accomplishment of women's history, is simply understanding women, certain kinds of women, over other kinds of women. So it's not really Women's History Month. It is a certain kind of a subjectivist understanding of women's history. Title IX is the next thing on the CNN list. Title IX, which prohibits sex. So uh, Title IX, uh, and, and thank goodness the Trump administration kind of addressed this, has had a history, a scathing history of due process violations that have ruined the lives of many people who were falsely accused of sexual assault. That's not to say that we don't need Title IX. I, I, think, that, I think that we need any mechanism that can ensure that anyone is protected from sexual assault. And women who get sexually assaulted should 100% be supported, helped, loved, and there should be consequences for their assaulters. But I can hold that belief and also think that the accused most certainly 100% need 
to be given their time in court or whatever process or mechanism their accusations are going to be examined through, if only for ensuring that there is true justice for the person who's, who claimed to be assaulted. Because if you don't ensure their time in court and you have a public facade go on that's going to destroy them, how in the world can we tell if that person who claimed to get assaulted was actually given justice? We can't. There's no, there's no feasible way. But moreover, how can I ensure that I'm doing justice in the first place if I don't know what the mechanisms of justice are being applied for? Are being applied for? I don't know. We can't do that. There's a piece out in Forbes.com on this issue, actually, by Michael Polikoff. And he argues that Biden has to protect due process in, in light of Title IX. This article was written a month, a month ago. He writes, there are policies of the previous administration that Joe Biden is already in the process of overturning or altering. It would be well, however, for him to reconsider his campaign promise to return and then build on the Obama administration's Title IX policies, which led to more than 500 investigations of accused students and shattered an untold number of lives, having himself been the object of unproven allegations of sexual assault. He must look into his own heart before reinstating campus procedures that make a mockery of justice. It's a strength. And this is true independent of Biden's personal experience, too. I would probably just add that. And of course, there are plenty of cases of wrongful persecution, as, as, as Mr. Polkoff mentions. Nifong, who got disbarred, who went after the Duke lacrosse players. Or the, 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 the gang rape account of the University of Virginia Fraternity House 2014, which Rolling Stone, one of the cultural publications of America, ran as, as presumed truth. <laughs> but of course, again, when you phrase these particular things, these very political things, the Equal Rights Amendment and Title IX, around the veneer of Women's History Month, you run into a complication. If you criticize them, you could be seen as being misogynistic or against women's rights, and therefore you would be a bad person and someone who is not apt for political considerations. Or if you critique them even a little bit, you could also be accused of not understanding the month and its fullness, and that you would be, in the sense of, you, 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 would, you, you would be not honoring right the people in the month. You would be not honoring the subject of the month. So it's either you are able to critique these things independent of an honorific, independent of a sacred cow, or you cannot necessarily engage in that epistemic process, which brings us truth in the first place. My friends, we are coming up on a break. We'll be right back in a few moments. Again, thank you so much for listening to, to me here on wherever you're listening to me to, on the podcast, on Pepper Ravens. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We'll be back right after this short break. Um, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Pence Pogs, Mr. Watson. Excuse me. By the way, thank you for coming back to the break. The break. 
listening to the second second half of the show. Excuse me if I seem tired. I am tired. <laughs> you know, I, I I promise my listeners that when I do these shows, I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. I mean that in every aspect of life. So if I'm feeling tired one day, even if I am not feeling like doing a show, I'm going to do a show and I'm going to tell you, hey, I feel tired. <laughs> so excuse me if that's bur- um, burdening my, my speech or my expression, but I am tired. There's a lot of things going on in my life. I must plug this really quick before we continue on. I will be on Jesse Kelly. Jesse Kelly, who is a uh, who is a who is the host of Jesse Kelly on the first TV. First TV is a conservative TV uh, news network um, that hosts people like Bill O'Reilly, Buck Sexton, Dana Loesch, the ever the ever so wonderful Dana Loesch, who I'm a big fan of. So I will be on Jesse Kelly uh, on Wednesday night. Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch. Uh, you can watch the first TV. On Pluto TV, you can watch them on Apple TV. You can watch them on the website, which would be thefirsttv.com. You can watch them on iOS, their app on iOS. You can watch them on Apple Stir TV, Glue TV. You can watch them anywhere, basically. You can watch them on almost every single platform. And this is what excites me, my friends, because all of you know I'm trying to become an internet personality and a public intellectual. And guess what? These days you do not have to go through the traditional cable news media um, plugs. You don't have to go through that kind of stuff. You can forge your own path independent of the establishment. I was listening to Bill O'Reilly the other day, and he said, yes, look, the establishment cable news media where I got my start at, it's not reliable anymore. There are no facts. You're adhering to all kind of um, uh, institutional preconceptions that you have to uh, carry around like dead weight, as Emerson would say. You mean you, 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 it's akin to a dead a dead Bible society that no one's participating in, but everyone's still talking about for some reason. So I love the fact that we are looking at digital alternatives because it makes me happy. Because I'm my entire media thing is digital, my entire media and aspirations are digital. They are entirely a hundred percent, without a doubt, digital. <laughs> so I am just very happy, my friends, that we have I have a chance, and I'm blessed that I didn't give up. Man, I, I, it made a video on my YouTube channel, by the way. And if you listen to Pence Politics and you do not know about my YouTube channel, I must implore you to please right now. Go subscribe to my YouTube channel and please let me know in one of my videos in the comment section, hey, I listened to Pence Politics and I subscribed from that. It helps me, helps me out with metrics. I have a YouTube channel called Christian Watson. You type in Christian Watson on YouTube.com. Christian Watson. It'll come up. I have a YouTube channel. And I have just been constantly doing my best to do good work on there and put out good out, output it's a blessing, guys, and hopefully I'll be able to do this for a living. Well, I do make I, I make some donations, but as a long term living, I mean, <laughs> that's my that's my aspiration. That's my aspiration. So, I really look forward to the future and what it holds. Um, without without a doubt, my friends, I look forward to the future and what it holds. Because you can only go, you can only go so far with television. I've learned that. 
So thank you so much for supporting me. Thank you so much for listening to me. It's it's a blessing. Uh, thank you so much for, for being a part of the Christian Watson experience. I appreciate it a lot. So let me finish up my thing about Women's History Month for a moment because I, I, it's very important. I don't want people to think that I'm attacking women. I'm not attacking women. What I'm doing is I'm trying to show the folly of appending a immutable characteristic to an entire set of historical events and assuming those historical events are indicative of the truest sense of that characteristic. Women's History Month, therefore, Equal Rights Amendment, therefore, Title IX, therefore, some broader struggle. I fundamentally reject that paradigm. I fundamentally reject, reject that framework. No, no, it goes, all those things together, plus a particular view of how women work and who, how women, who women are, therefore, Women's History Month. Women's History Month, is, Women's History Month is not an objective fact. It is something constructed by people who have particular views of women. I'm not saying these views are good or bad, although I think that if you reduce people to their characteristics and assumed a shared struggle because of their characteristics, you are completely and utterly eliminating the plurality of human experience. And you're reducing the complexity of my human being down to one thing, a single variable. So, I, I, so I'm not trying to attack the achievements of people. Hey, I think the efforts to make sure women were actually seen as individuals, like Susan B. Anthony, I think that's wonderful. There are all kind of things that I think are wonderful. But should I celebrate Helen Keller because she's a woman? Or because she was a brilliant individual who essentially reinvented communication and reinvented the way in which so many people, so many people, blind people, saw the world through her methods. I think the latter does her legacy justice. I think her latter does her legacy a lot of good. Rather than saying, oh, she was a woman, there go, therefore. And I, 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 I get it. I get that. I get that. I get that. I get that we want to put into the consciousness of the public. This idea that we are repairing for the past of ignoring women for so many years, so many decades. And guess what? If you want to repair for that past of us ignoring women for a good majority of history, or I'm not sure that's true necessarily, but I think there's, there's, there's some validity to that. If you want to repair for that, it's very simple what you do. You reverse course. You acknowledge that sin of seeing women as their sex and associating all kind of things to them because of that, that 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 factor and you say okay going forward we're not going to do this going forward we're going to ensure that our pedagogy does not include this pernicious strain of un of unknowledge this pernicious strain of anti-knowledge so to speak and we're going to embrace women for who they are fully for who they are I hold the same view that Lysander Spooner holds. 
Now, Lysander Spooner, for those of you who do not know, was a... Lysander Spooner was a anarchist. I'm not an anarchist. I am no anar anarchist. But he is a, also a natural rights philosopher. He believed that human beings had certain rights that no one could violate. And he wrote an essay called Against Women's Suffrage. But Lysander Spooner was not opposed to the notion of women voting. Lysander Spooner was opposed to the notion of someone having coercive power over another person. Now, again, look, I'm not an anarchist. I don't agree with anarchism. But he begins saying this. Women are human beings and consequently have all the natural rights that any human beings can have. That's all I'm saying. Women are human beings. Women are human beings. That's all we have to acknowledge to correct for the sins of the past. We don't have to adopt our own version of the, of the sins of the past, adopt their same mechanism, and proceed forth with that with these vain cultural approbations. So that's how you fix the problem of misogyny. That's how you fix the problem of women not being uh, acknowledged in the past. You acknowledge them today and in 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 indifference towards their gender, and in indifference towards their sex, in indifference towards crap they can't control. You acknowledge them today for who they truly, epistemically, it ontologically are as human beings. That's how you fix it. You don't fix it by making months like this. You don't fix it by presuming that Women's History Month celebrates the achievements of all women when in all reality it is clearly pushing a political agenda. You don't fix it. Dear God, man, you don't fix it by doing this crap, man. Anyway, that's my those are my thoughts on Women's History Month. I haven't even covered the entire article. The only good thing that it mentions is suffrage. Women's suffrage was wonderful, but it was wonderful because it rejected the idea. That they were they they had a certain quality or value to them because of their sex. Women's History Month reentrenches, endorses, and dresses up that idea in the garb of equality. When bad ideas get converted into the appearance of good ideas, that's when danger comes. That's when we have to be careful. All right. <sighs> Enough of that. <laughs> Enough of that. Excuse me. Um. I get really worked up sometimes because guess what? I, I see the death of the individual. I see the death of the individual. I see the death just today in class. I was having a conversation uh, reading a, a guy called Matthew Crawford who basically is saying, yeah, the idea of the individual being sovereign and having freedoms that no one can violate and being you know, semi-autonomous or autonomous from society, that is an idea that has led us to destructive uh, destructive paths in, in the world and has led us to believe in subjective truth and i'm like what no no the confirmation of the individual's place in society is evidence of objective truth because guess what objectively metaphysically the individual is the primary unit that interacts with reality but it interacts within the context of a world that exists outside of him. This is where rights come from. Rights come from an external source outside of the individual, outside of their being, outside of their understanding, outside. You don't have to understand rights theory for anything. You still have rights. I don't care if you're a, a child in Ghana who is dealing with cholera. I don't care if you're a, a fat cat over in Hong Kong or in Shanghai. I don't care if you're a, a someone in Apple 
Appalachia in America. You have rights that are endemic to your being and for any academic, my lord, for any academic to suggest otherwise or to suggest that I am formed in the context of society and therefore I need to be subordinate or enmeshed into society is for you to suggest a falsehood. It is for you to suggest something that is entirely, completely and utterly antithetical to any kind of objective truth. For you to suggest that me being suspicious of political authority means that I will not adhere to people who are studied in their field and who know their stuff and can demonstrate that is for you to engage in a straw man, a non sequitur, both a straw man and a non sequitur, a non sequitur first and a straw man. How about that? Excuse me. Man, when I say stay pensive, this is what I mean. When you're pensive, man, you're literally taking down every single thing, every single um, hallmark of pretension. You're ripping it down and trying to understand where it all fits in. How it all fits in. Where it's coming from. Speaking of objective morals, Joe Biden doesn't have much use for those apparently. Or at least in the context of the situations happening in China, in the context of the situations happening in Hong Kong, Joe Biden has not endorsed a system of objective morality. So as you guys know, a few weeks ago, Joe Biden said, Joe Biden said that cultural norms should dictate, basically should dictate our understanding or influence our understanding of how China is conducting itself with Hong Kong and the Uyghurs. Let me read to you um, his quote. This is from this is from the New York Post article from February 17th. This is Biden's quote. If you know anything about Chinese history, it has always been the time when China has been victimized by the outer world is when they be when they haven't been unified at home, Biden began. So the central, while vastly overstated, the central principle, he's stuttering, he's going back and forth, he, he, uh, of Xi Jinping is that there must be a united, tightly controlled China. And he uses his rationale for the things he does based on that. Okay. And it's good for us to understand that. The problem is what Biden says afterwards. I point out to him. So Biden, the article says, Biden continued his response that he is not going to speak out against the Chinese Communist Party's belligerent activities in Hong Kong, against the Uyghurs, or in Taiwan. Biden says, I point out to him that no American president can be sustained as a president if he does not reflect the values of the United States. That is correct. And this is actually my entire point. The presidency is animated by the underlying foundational principles of the American experiment, and therefore the president must have a certain objective moral compass. I agree, Biden. Good job. But here's where he goes. He says, and so the idea that I am not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in the western mountains of China and Taiwan— Trying to end one China policy by making it forceful, Xi gets it. Culturally, here's the problematic part. There are different norms 
that each country and their leaders are expected to follow. He continued. When asked about the repercussions for China over the genocide, Biden says, well, there will be repercussions for China, and Xi knows that. What I'm doing is making it clear that we are, and we in fact are going to continue to reassert our role as spokespersons for human rights at the UN and other agencies that have an impact on that attitude. So we're going to continue to engage in the, with the UN, UN and other international bodies. Biden is taking a, a, a page out of the playbook of the Obama presidency. Obama would go to, go to the UN for everything. Oh, I want to go bomb Libya today? Go, 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 go to the UN. It's the pen and phone mentality. So one could say Biden is simply trying to be prudent and trying not to step on G's toes. That may be a, I mean, that may be the utilitarian utilization of his methods. But what is really happening here is you have an American president who's simply trying to make an ex- a, a cheap excuse for why Xi Jinping is doing stuff. I'm sorry, but saying that these are cultural norms, ergo, let's understand them in that light, it's like saying, yeah, I have certain values, but I understand your values, and I'm not going to try to use my values to weigh against your values. No, if you have certain values, and you understand that your values are correct, you should absolutely 100% use your values to estimate other people's values. So this, this does not mean be disrespectful or rude. This simply means... Be willing and ready to use your value system and test it against someone else's and have yours tested. That's all it means, Joe Biden. That's all it means, man. That's literally, that's all it means. But Biden was engaging in a pernicious kind of cultural relativism. Oh, they're different cultures. They have different ways of handling things. Therefore, why should I go out here and outwardly condemn or judge them? It's just different. It's not bad or good. It's different. The thinking, the problem with this kind of thinking is that it rejects certain truths about the human being in reality, certain axioms about the value of human life. And those axioms manifest in the form of rights. It rejects the fact that man and woman have rights that are endemic to their being. And violating those rights is against is against our ability to live morally and responsibly and live at all, and therefore is immoral. So if a culture does not adhere to that principle, or a culture does not necessarily care about individuals' lives and they would wantonly disregard them like that, that culture does not have a valid moral system. I'm sorry. I don't care how different they are. Difference is not a quality. It's not a substantive quality. Difference can only, maybe can help us in historical context. But insofar as moral judgments go, differences, no. Differences mean very little if you have the a consistent moral system. Now, if you have an inconsistent moral system, then I understand why you would be so attached to differences. Hi, 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 I get it. Trust me, I do. But in this system, in this system that Biden laid out for us, you really cannot have an objective sense of morality. It's dang near impossible. 
and you can't represent the values an American president by virtue of their position are meant to represent. Now, I must say something else, though. I must say, this is personal for me. Because in one of the first phone calls that Joe Biden made when he came into office was a phone call to Xi Jinping. According to the Hong Kong Free Press, Joe Biden pressed Chinese leader Xi Jinping over human rights in Hong Kong and Xinjiang late Wednesday in their first call since the new U.S. president took office on January 20th. So he pressed Xi Jinping. But a week or so later in that CNN town hall, he didn't want to tell the American public exactly the content of his pressing or to press Xi Jinping in front of the glare of the light of the American public. I'm not sure how much I trust that, but what I do know is that I know this for sure. I know this for certain. One of my friends, Joshua Wong, who I interviewed on this very show, he is a Hong Kong dissident, was arrested. He is a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. He's been one of the most persistent voices against this, the Politburo's tyranny in Hong Kong. He's been one of the most persistent dragon slayers, taking on the hydra of the, of the dragon of the Politburo and just taking it down in all kinds of ways. Joshua Wong, he's just been amazing. And he, he's been arrested. And I pray to God that he's okay. My dear friend Joshua, if you hear this, know that I love you. I hope that you're okay. Uh, I didn't I didn't know him as personally as I wanted to know him, but, uh, you know, I hope that you're okay, man. Because it's really disturbing when you have someone who has constantly organized against the pretension of certain forces get arrested like that. His Twitter account reported that he was arrested without legal representation and he was taken to the Lackanock excuse me, Lachakok, however you say that, reception center, to take statement. It is not known yet when and where this investigation will lead him to. So he's in prison right now. The the police raided Joshua's home because he violated quote-unquote national security law by taking part in primary election. Of course, this is what totalitarians do. Hannah Arendt was very pressing about this. Totalitarians will reduce things to a single quality and reinvent certain ideas like security or freedom um, to fit their, their their framework, to fit their narrow framework, and then they will operate under that framework to violate rights and to, and to destroy the individual and to oppress. The, the Chinese Politburo is quite literally taking a picture, taking a page out of the things Hannah Arendt warned about. And for Joe Biden to have the moral temerity to stand in front of the American people and not condemn what's going on in Hong Kong and simply say, oh, we'll let the UN handle it. Not only reeks of cultural relativism, it reeks of cowardice in the face of that narrow understanding of culture. It reeks of rank cowardice. I hope for the sake of Joshua and his friends that he is all right. But, my friends, 
we have to we have to ask ourselves these questions as I close today. Are you willing to be unapologetically American? Unapologetically dedicated to freedom? Are you willing to stand up and slap evil down when it arises? Are you willing to stand up for what it's right when there's a lot at stake? Even if that means rustling feathers and destroying other relationships that you might have but are predicated upon falsehoods, are you willing? I don't think Joe Biden has shown me that he is. I hope that he does as the presidency goes on, but right now he's not showing me. All right, my friends, I love you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to us on all platforms, Pins of Politics. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Christian Watson. But as well as my friends, I love you, and please, 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 please stay pensive. Bye-bye.